0: Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And Father, we pray that you would help us to live the reality of these verses. And so Father, please guide us now. Please speak to us. Because unless you speak, I truly have nothing to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we were to continue reading that passage, you'd find the word knowledge again, uh, repeated uh, more than once. It's all about knowing and really coming to understand and grasp some of the truth about the person of Christ and the provision of Christ and the promise of Christ, it all centers on the person of Christ. And so that word knowledge means a rich and full knowledge. Uh, There is a a word in the original that just merely means knowledge, but this this word takes on a broader meaning, a rich and full knowledge knowledge, not just a surface knowledge about Christ, not just something anyone could ponder, but a a rich and full, complete knowledge that implies an intimate, personal relationship. For instance, how many of you know my wife? Silly question. Who in the room knows her best? I do. Compared to me, you don't know her. You think she's sweet? She is super abundantly sweet. I have experienced God's grace through her because nobody in the room knows me better than she does and she still loves me and that amazes me. And so there's that acquaintance knowledge. Yes, I'm acquainted with that person or or yes, I'm even fairly close to that person, but this is speaking of a, a full knowledge that is rich in the context of a personal relationship with Christ. It's not enough just to know some facts about him, be able to quote some scriptures about him, but, but do you know him? I've read biographies about people that are still alive, and, and I feel like I know them better than I do, but, but I've never had that personal, up-close relationship with them. And there are people that live in that delusion that I have enough information that I, I, I know him. Well, do you know him intimately and personally? and is it a, a growing relationship that you have? That's what Peter is speaking of as God is inspiring here. So that the question would be, today, as we approach this passage is, what do you know? What do you know? Well, let's work our way through the passage. The passage begins with Simon Peter identifying himself. We looked at that in depth last week. He says, "I am a servant who has been sent. I am a servant, a bond servant, one who continues in service, and I have been sent as an apostle of Jesus Christ." Do you notice what Simon does? that we tend to do in our lives, and that is he identifies himself by identifying his relationship with somebody else. So I want us to consider, first of all, the question, do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Well, here's who I am. I have been called, a name that I, I really treasure, I've been called Mr. Deanne by piano student. They'll come in, kick off their shoes. They'll be going down the hallway and they'll say, hi, Mr. Dan." And I'll say, hi. I was in the drive-thru at a bank. Someone from inside said, are you Kobe's dad? Yes, I'm Kobe's dad. I'm Jaron's dad. That's cool. But I am also Josiah and Maya's Grumps. That's super cool. And so people identify us that way, don't they? They identify us in relationship to our parents, to our our spouses, to our children, to our siblings. Uh, sometimes that's how we have to identify ourselves to, to make it clear who we are and, and where do we come from and what's our background. In Louisiana. I have learned having two daughter-in-laws from there, a common statement or question is, who do you belong to? Well, the reality is I belong to Jesus. And so if you're leaning on your identity and relationship to people, that's pretty shallow and flimsy because they are at an arm's length from you. They have influence on you. They may have produced genes within you, but, but your ultimate identity can't rest in that relationship. The only secure place to have a relationship where you look to for your ultimate identity is your relationship with Christ. Who are you in relationship to him? That's the question. So let's walk through that identity. Do you know who you are? let's try this. I am a Christian. I am a believer. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God and a child of light. I have been chosen, accepted, and adopted, and redeemed by Jesus Christ. And he is using me as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And the list could go on and on and on. And every once in a while, it's good for us just to contemplate the person whom the Bible says we are as connected to Christ. That's where my identity has to spring. That's where the roots have to be there. My identity has to rest in Christ because that is the only eternal relationship that gives me eternal life. It's Jesus. So ever so often, it's good for me or you to... Run through those identities in Scripture. Do you know who you are? Simon Peter did. He was a servant who had been sent. We have an identity in Christ very similar. But then the second question would be, do you know who you know? Do you really know who you know? Have you ever gotten acquainted with someone and and you thought you really knew them and then they they did something that was crazy and you said wait a minute, you can't be talking about the same person I know. But in reality, I didn't really know who I know. I didn't actually know who I knew. But Christ never changes. There's no character flaw in Christ. There's no hidden skeleton in his closet. He has no closet. He is pure and holy and righteous. And so, uh, do you really know who you know? Do do you really know Jesus? It goes on in verse 1. He's identifying his audience, but he's saying This letter is to those who have been given and received like precious faith, like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It it becomes even expressive about those to whom the letter was sent. In some translations, it uses the word obtained. Mine that I'm reading from does. To those who have obtained. Well, Sometimes we equate the idea of obtaining something as attaining something. I have attained the amount needed to purchase that, so I obtained it. Or I traded something to get that, I obtained it. It moved from somebody else's possession into mine by some merit of my own maneuvering and scheming, perhaps. But the word there really simply is, I have received it would be rather try, but it, it has just fallen to me. I have received it. I haven't achieved it. I have received it from him. And so if I know who I really know, and if I really know who I know, I know that I have received from him something that I couldn't purchase on my own. I have received from him like precious faith. It's not saying a faith that is kind of like precious faith. It's like, which means the same. He's saying, I'm writing to you who have received this precious faith just like the precious faith I have received. What a beautiful picture that is. It has been freely given to you just like it was Freely given to me, Peter is saying. And we have all received it by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he has bestowed upon us the faith that we embrace. He has granted it and freely given it to us equal in value and honor to the very faith that Simon Peter had. That's amazing. And it all flows from the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now think about this reality. This always blows my mind. I know the same Jesus Peter now. Think about the Jesus Peter knew. When Peter took Jesus to his home, his mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her and she got up and fixed a feast for him. That's the Jesus he knew. The Jesus Peter knew, walked on water and invited Peter to join him there. That's the Jesus Peter knew and that's the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that Peter knew looked at a massive number of people, up to 25,000 or 20,000, counting men, women, and children, and he fed them with a lunch of the, the same Jesus that Peter knew, I know. The same Jesus that Peter saw on the Mount of Transfiguration is the same Jesus that I know and anticipate his return. The same Jesus that Peter knew who stepped out of the grave conquering death is the Jesus that I know. I have that like, equal in value faith placed in the same Jesus that Peter had placed his faith in. That's who I know. I know the God-man, I know the one who is eternally God the Son who became the Son of Man to help us understand him as the Son of God who would give himself for our sin. That's the Jesus that we know. And we have obtained that like precious faith with Peter and Paul, the apostles Everyone who has ever come to know Jesus had that similar, equal exactness of faith. We know the same Jesus, Peter now. And we know him by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there's no distinction there. He is one of the three in the Trinity. He is God the Son, and there is also God the Spirit and, and God the Father, three in one, three persons, one identity, God, not operating in three different modes, but unified together, and so he rejoices that we have that same common faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus, our Lord. His identity has never changed. He never morphed from from one identity of the Trinity to another. He has always eternally existed as God the Son. And he came to this earth as our Savior. And we have that like precious, Faith, is that faith precious to you? It's precious whether it's precious to you or not. But then thirdly, do you know and understand what you have? We've considered the question, do you know who you are? Do you really know who you know, but, but do you know what you have? Here he tells us in verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So think about what he's saying there. This is what we have. We have God's grace. The grace of God is the root of who we are. We have been treated with the unmerited favor of God and and we have been welcomed into his family and we've been transformed into a new creation. All of that happened because of God's grace And the fruit of that grace is peace. I'm at peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Romans 5. And so I have grace and peace. It's not just a simple greeting, wishing you well. He's identifying those qualities that should be a part of everything about us. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, Just, just coming and overwhelming you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Savior. This power is an authorized power. Not only does Jesus have the power, the divine power, to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but he has the authorized power to give it. You see, I might have in my possession something that doesn't belong to me, and I have not been authorized to give it to you. But Jesus proclaimed to his disciples, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Just think about that. He holds within his being everything necessary for our life and godliness, and he has authorized power to give it to us, not because somebody has authorized him, but because he is the authority over all things. He has the right to give it. He has the relationship in which to give it. He has an authorized power that he gives us, and that that word is the word, The root word is dunamis, the word we get dynamite from. It's a a, a very explosive kind of power, but it it never lessens. It never lets up. It is a a power that emanates from him. It's an inherent power, a power residing within him by virtue of his divine nature. Just think about that. And he puts forth that power. You know what I'm finding? I don't have as much energy to exert as much as I did in the past. Exertion and exhaustion have gotten closer together in my life. But when Jesus exerts his power to provide for us everything that pertains to life and godliness... there's no exhaustion there. Uh, He isn't expended. His storehouse of power is not lessened. It's inherent in who he is, and he extends that to us by the authority of who he is. He gives us, by his divine power, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Have you ever been buying something? You say, well, does this do this? No, it'll do everything but that. It'll do some things you haven't thought about, and it's usually things that I don't need it to do. But here, there's no exception. There are all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you know Jesus, and you're walking in an intimate relationship with him, and, and you're growing in that, you don't have any needs that he won't meet. And, and you'll never find a need in life or godliness that he's not already in the process of meeting. Think about Psalm 23.1. We sang about it a moment ago. His goodness keeps running after me. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. But at the very beginning of that, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or I shall not be overwhelmed with need. Because he has divine power to give me everything that pertains to life and godliness. Just think about the Apostle Paul writing from jail, from prison. He says, "But my God shall supply nearly every one of my need. No, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches." in Christ Jesus. All things that pertain to life and Godness, but even goes back to Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter six, you walk through all of the things that we think we need. Now just think about that. Some 2000 years before now, all these infomercial campaigns that that you you and I might see in a sleepless night when we're jogging through the channels and they're trying to sell you stuff. They'll talk to you about food, what's good for you, what's bad for you. They'll they'll talk about, you need to eat this, eat that. Remember Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter six, don't worry about what you will eat or drink. Then fashion Don't worry about what clothes you will wear. Physique, this is a, you can't increase your stature. Don't worry about your physique, so to speak. The future, tomorrow will have enough cares of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just think about what people get caught up worrying about food, fashion, physique, the future. And then Jesus says, Matthew 6, as we know it. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is in the passage we just read. And all these things will be yours. They'll be added to you. Now the prosperity gospel takes that, pulls it out of context, says, Jesus will give you all things that you want. No, that's not what he said. He said, these very things that you are consumed with worry about, I will provide for you. I've got you covered for life and godliness. As long as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added to you. He has the power to provide. All things are already at our possession because he is releasing them to us that pertain to life and godliness. It has been bestowed upon us. It's a present state in which we live that occurred in the past. He's already bestowed it on us. I remember early on, and I I realized I'm going to have to clarify Rewinding in technology back into little technology back into no technology. And no, I wasn't in, living in a cave, but is pretty far back. The and I had just gotten married, had a financial crisis, did everything we could. My dad was with the Lord. I, I called my mom, talked about it, said, hey, we need some help. She said, okay, I'll put a check in the mail. I told Deanne, we got the money. We're covered. Were we? No. It hadn't arrived yet. But in faith, I knew it'd be there. Because of her character, her compassion, it was going to happen. Now, just think about this. He has everything you need for life and godliness. And in Matthew 6, he also said, before you ask, he knows what you need. And sometimes he, he acts before we ever ask. And we look and say, I wish I would have asked for that. It would have been a great answer to prayer. I would have beefed up my testimony. No, he, he just gives all things that pertain to life and Godliness. That's what you have. Do you understand that? Then finally, look at the rest of verse 3. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do you know and understand from whom you have received it? He has called us in a gracious act to his glory and virtue. One commentary says this Christ attracts people enslaved by sin by his own moral excellence and total impact of his glorious person. He has called us to him, he has named us with his name. We are Christ's children, we belong to him. And we should know and grow in our understanding from whom we have received all things that regard life and godliness. You have been called and you have responded to that call perhaps. And he he called us by glory and virtue, by, by the very person that he is through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So The question would be, have you responded to his call? Uh, do you really know him? Do you have the, the knowledge that it's talking about here? Have you really entered into the righteousness which is from Christ, not, not your own? You remember Paul says, I long to know him. In the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, I want to know Christ. And I want to have a righteousness not of my own from keeping the law legalistically, but a righteousness which is from Christ, who has made me right with God. So, what do you know? I talked to a friend on the phone, I guess it was a week before last. He actually was the first person I ever baptized. They were having a revival, tent revival, out on our church property where they were gonna build the new church. And every year they have this annual tent revival and this year they decided they would baptize people there. So we had a a big horse trough out there full of water. I was preaching a revival in a small community outside of Clovis. And I was also the summer youth uh, worker. Now I would have been the summer intern. And so the pastor called me in and said, Kenny Ray, next person you lead to Christ, you can baptize them, so you can learn how to do that. I said, great. So I went and preached. On Sunday morning at this revival, I was uh, going to preach again that night there and get out just in time to, to get back into town go to the tent revival. I was going to be there by the end of the service. Kind of unwind and clear my mind, I was in my backyard shooting hoops. Steve comes in the backyard to talk to me been a friend quite a while, member of the church. His family was faithful to the church. He said, What are you doing? I said, just shooting some baskets. I'm I've got to go in just a second because I've got to get ready to go back out to preach. Well knowing he was very shy, I said to him, Why don't you come with me tonight and give your testimony? Now, now, understand. I had no pure motives in that. I was trying to scare him. I just thought it'd be funny for him to kind of lance and think, "No, I can't get up in front of people and speak," because I'd been there, and I thought it'd be fun to make somebody else feel that way. And he said, "I can't do that." Well, to push a little bit more, I said, "Come on, why not?" He said, "I don't have a testimony." I said, what? He said, I, I don't have a testimony. And I said, really? And I said, but you're a member of the church. And he said, right, but I don't have a testimony. I just did that as a kid. I said, well, let's take care of this. I sat down talking to him kind of spending the basketball talking to him and sharing about Jesus and how our sin separated us from Christ and and he desperately needed to put his faith and trust in Christ that church wasn't enough. That Jesus died for him and if he put his faith and trust in Christ, he could be forgiven of his sin, turning from that sin, receiving Jesus and he would have the gift of eternal life. I said, does that make sense to you? And he said, yes. I said, would you like to do that? He said, yes. And so there, in my backyard, on the concrete slab of my idol in high school, he came to know Christ. I said, well, why don't you come to church out there with me, and then we'll come to the tent revival together, and you can make your decision public, and I'll be there with you. And he said, okay. So, that was the plan. So, I called the pastor to remind him where I would be, and how I would be there by the end of the service, told him what had happened that afternoon, that Steve and I would be making that public, and He said, bring a change of clothes. You can baptize him right there. That was the first baptism where the new church sits. The most important thing was, somebody I assumed really knew him, didn't really know him. Somebody I had talked to and interacted with and spent hours upon hours with at times. He didn't know Jesus, and I assumed he did, and so we never breached that subject of the gospel, how tragic that would be. If you know him, are you trying to help others come to know that? Because there are people living without anything that pertains to life and godliness. They have no hope and no help. The question is, do you really know him? And if you really know him... Do you really want others to come to know him? Because if you really know him, he is somebody you want other people to know. And you will not be ashamed of him. Because he has given you life and everything that pertains to life and godliness. Because he welcomes us by his godliness and virtue, his goodness and his grace. If you don't know him, if you don't really know him, I want to share with you how you can come to know him. And if you do know him, are you making him known to others? What do you know? The only thing you really need to know is not a thing, it's a person, and that's Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pause to thank you for making yourself known to us. And Lord, I thank you for the day that I bowed my knee before you and came to know you. And how I thought I knew you then, but now I know you even more. And the more I know, the less I know because you are beyond my comprehension. There is so much of you that is yet to be explored. But Father, I thank you that in Jesus I've come to experience a transformation of who I am by your grace and by your power and by your mercy. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit wwwfirstcrocket.org Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.